This week on Thinking Biblically, I talk to a residential school survivor and hear the message that she is seeking to bring to her own people. Welcome back to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe and share and like and review and and all those good things. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to have with me today Doris Gray Eyes. Doris grew up on the Little Black Bears Band Reserve in Saskatchewan before being sent to the Labrette Indian Residential School at age six. She attended there for 12 years before going to university. She was married to Marcel Gray Eyes of the Muskeg Lake Cree Nation for 55 years. Marcel served for 26 years in the Canadian military, stationed throughout Canada and West Germany. He sadly passed away in September of last year. Doris has three children, including Melody, who was with me on Thinking Biblically about a month ago. Be sure to check that one out. She also has nine grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Doris has a diverse educational background in health, social development, adult education, and business. She's worked at national, provincial, and community levels. She's currently the CEO of Wakaos. I practiced just before. I'm sorry, Doris. You... You could say it for us in a minute. I'm going to try it again. Wakayos Development Limited, which is the economic development arm of Little Black Bears Band of Saskatchewan. Bit of a mouthful. Welcome to Thinking Biblically. Thank you, Alan. Um, so where I'd like to start is uh, the other evening around our Shabbat uh, table, our kids started talking about all our kids are they're all adults, and we had a few over for our Shabbat meal. And somehow the subject of uh, earliest memory came up. What was our earliest memory, and how old were we when we had it? Are you able to share what your earliest memory is? Certainly, I can very clearly. I remember when I was four years old. And at that time, we were getting uh, new homes on the reserve. I was born in a log home right on right at the reserve. And uh, my father was a counselor and he was to get a new home. And at four years old, when they were building the home, my dad took me up on the roof so I could have a look down into the chimney. That was the most exhilarating experience I had at four years old. And I remember that so clearly. So you were sent to residential school at age six. So you were, were quite young. Do you have any other memories of, of before that time living on the reserve? Absolutely. Uh, my parents were mixed farmers. So we had cows and chickens and horses. I can remember uh, actually even watching my father uh, summer fall of the fields with uh, with a team of horses. So that's how far back we can go. And I would have been about uh, three years old. And that was pretty, uh, uh, a pretty normal thing for uh, my mother and us children to do, we would go and watch our father, we would go for walks in the uh, on the roads, and we would uh, see our father doing the work in the fields. And uh, 
uh, he would come home and uh, we would all sit together and have a meal together. And uh, he'd tell us about uh, how the land was, uh, the kind of uh, conditions during that time. So it was a, a real uh, open, open air sort of atmosphere in which we lived. And uh, that was an important thing for us because we lived on the land. I was born on the land. We lived on the land and we were taught about the land very early in our lives. We, uh, we knew that uh, the creator gave us the land and he gave us everything that we needed to survive on the land. So those were teachings that came with, uh, with the kind of work my father did. My mother would actually also... Uh, uh, ship cream to one of the neighboring towns because we had cows. Uh, my father would um, would sell wood as well. So uh, we, I'm from a family of 12. So we had a lot of uh, work to do in our very early years. So uh, we, we worked very young. Uh, it was a game, as my mother had put it. Um, so it was enjoyable to do the kind of work she wanted us to do. And we had to help in that way. And so uh, those are some of the things that uh, I remember very clearly. And it was a wonderful childhood. We lived on the land. We had big gardens. We, um, we had our own chickens and eggs. And we lived off the land. We ate wild meat, a lot of wild meat as well. Uh, so I, I would say we were uh, a very uh, sustainable family. And uh, coming from a family of 12, uh, that was something that we had to do. And thereby giving us a, a very good uh, beginning of work ethic. So that work ethic that we learned when we were little carried with us throughout the years. So uh, uh, and that was that was important. And I remember visiting my uh, my brothers and sisters in residential school because they were in residential school long before me. I'm in the middle of the family of 12. And so uh, they uh, they went to school earlier, of course, than I did. And uh, we would visit them. I remember that very clearly. And we went to visit them when, in with a horse and buggy. So that's a long time ago. Yeah, but it was little, very enjoyable. A little bit of time ago. Yeah, we, I do want to explore the the relationship to the land, and we're going to talk about your your faith journey as well. And I, I'm really fascinated with your with your background to see how you understand what the Bible says about people and the land. And we'll, we're going to get there. But I have a land question: um, You being in Saskatchewan, is it really true that Saskatchewan is so flat that you can watch your dog run away for days? Oh, no, not really. We live on the prairies. We have a prairie. Uh, the southern part is prairie, but we also have many beautiful hills and forests. The forests in the northern areas is just gorgeous. There's a lot of water, a lot of lakes. But, and you know, it's strange, but people who pass through Saskatchewan, they pass through the number one. And unfortunately, the number one is all flat and until they get into, into Alberta. However, very few people come off the number one if they if they haven't been in Saskatchewan. And so uh, uh, a lot of people don't know the beauty of the land in Saskatchewan. We have many beautiful valleys. And like I say, the lakes, we have many lakes. And there are particularly in the north from Saskatoon north, 
there are many lakes and we have the uh, lakes in the south as well because south saskatchewan river is in the is in the um is in the south but also i am living right on the south saskatchewan river as well so it's beautiful and it's serene this is my sanctuary yeah that's wonderful okay so at age six you go to residential school can you describe what that was like i must say it was uh, a very traumatic time when i when i arrived in residential school i can remember clearly i'm this little girl who uh who never uh, was away from my parents. And all of a sudden I come into this place and there's, um, there's very tall people and I'm quite, quite little at that time. So I'm, uh, it's, uh, I don't know what kind of an, it was, it was traumatic and it was, uh, it was like, there was a wall that came up. I went into a totally different world from what I was used to. I guess you could say it was cultural shock for me. And I remember uh, uh, people teasing me a lot because I was I was little and I couldn't pronounce my words very well. And uh, I spent a lot of time trying to uh, figure out how I didn't have to see people because I immediately uh, became, uh, uh, became reserved and it, came to a point where I didn't even want to be me because there was so much teasing going on and I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to that because in my family at home, uh, my father was very strict about uh, people teasing one another because he always said, uh, whatever comes out of the mouth, uh, that comes from the heart. And that really uh, does uh, uh, say something about the person. So uh, we were, um, we very seldom teased one another because I'm from a family of nine boys and three girls. And so the girls uh, were well protected and uh, they, our brothers were very respectful of us as well. So that's the way I grew up. And when I came into this residential school, uh, it was a, a different atmosphere. And that in itself was traumatic. Uh, however, um, I learned to um, preserve myself. I think I started to live a life of self-preservation as soon as I arrived there. How could I keep myself from being teased by other people? And uh, I would. I started to read by myself, and I started to do uh, to do some of the things that can be done alone. I, I figured out how I could keep away from people, and that was from reading and becoming a good student. So I became a really good student when I was there. And for 12 years, I, uh, I progressed and uh, then went to university. But the time in residential school, I must say, uh, it, it was a time of uh, very traumatic experiences. And I didn't realize until later uh, how it affected me. Uh, when I was there, I tried so hard to, uh, to keep away from people. And I managed to do that very well. So I became very aloof. And the only people I wanted to talk to was my brother. One of my brothers was in the same grade as I was. He was kept home for a couple of years because he wasn't well. And uh, he was my friend. And he was my only real uh, person with whom I spoke. Now, the trauma that you you um, described, and, and if if 
you know, if I say anything that is uh, insensitive, I'd like you to tell me, because as, as a Jewish person, um, I know what it's like, uh, you know, people can say very interesting things. And sometimes they're actually trying to be nice when they're doing it. And, um, you know, when in fact they're being very offensive. I often worry more about the other Jewish people that might hear similar comments. And so that's why I'll often be the one to speak up. And so please, um, if I say anything that's kind of off, please say so. Um, and I know it's, so to set, setting up this question is also a little sensitive and difficult because I'm, I'm gonna do maybe what you're not supposed to do. Cause I'm, I'm gonna do how, set something up where I'm gonna try to relate to you. So I also had a traumatic school experience. I was the, um, in the way that this school system was set up in Quebec, in Montreal, where I was, uh, I was one of the youngest. I was also small for my age. And so I was one of those, I got picked on a lot. Um, I got made fun of, I was picked last for sports teams almost all the time. And my, my, elementary public school experience was was pretty terrible. Um, so when you talk about and describe your trauma, I'm hearing tip, some typical school stuff, not necessarily residential school stuff. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Can you elaborate? Yes. Uh, when I first arrived at school, the important thing for me was where are my parents? Where did they go? So I really felt abandoned. I felt abandoned and I began to feel rejected by the people who were there even, even though they were my colleagues. Uh, it was that whole rejection for people. And like you say, uh, being picked on and also being, uh, I was, I was teased and uh, I would, uh, I would stay away from group activities just because uh, I would try to preserve my own identity, and uh, that didn't uh, that didn't go very well. So, so but I you're not you're not talking at yet about the uh, the teachers, the establishment. You're talking about your fellow countrymen, right? Yes, I'm talking about my fellow countrymen, the the teachers themselves. Um, I must say, we had very good uh, teachers. That is one thing I will say about residential school, and that's my experience. I uh, the the nuns who taught us. That's they were wonderful teachers because they were devout teachers as well as they were devout to their faith with their faith. Uh, and when they were um, when they would teach us, uh, there was commitment there, and they really did uh, give us the skills to go on afterwards. That I must say. And also the priests were, uh, we had some uh, priests who were teachers as well, but uh, it was mostly the nuns. And uh, I, was, uh, I was from a family who had been there before. And I think that made a difference. My oldest sister was the first uh, grad, was one of the first graduating classes that uh, came out of Labrette Residential School. And uh, my and then another brother followed. So we had I had brothers and sisters before me. And so I do believe that the nuns and priests who were in the school uh, 
had that um, expectation, I guess you could call it, that I would be, I would follow in their footsteps. So I didn't find that uh, I was uh, mistreated, really, by the nuns and the priests. Uh, there was uh, there was general mistreatment for everybody. Uh, however, when uh, I was um, interacting with the nuns and the priests, uh, there was really uh, there was really not a lot of uh, terrible things that were said between us because they also knew my mother and father. My mother and father would come and visit. And um, because, I, as I said, of my older brothers and sisters who had graduated before me, there was this expectation that here's another member of the family. I'm thinking that's what was going on. I didn't put it together until later. But when I started to become a, a good student, I realized, OK, my brothers and sisters have, have gone through. And as a matter of fact, I even went to the, um, the father, brought our family to the uh, graduation of our older sister at Teachers College in uh, one of the towns uh, near Labrette. Well, it was a little ways away. It was Mustia Teachers College, but I was able to, um, and I think I was like maybe grade two at that time. So I was, I was young, but uh, they brought us to uh, see our sister convocating or graduating from Teachers College. So that's that's a very different different way of uh, explaining some of the good things that happened. And my father always taught us because my father went to residential school when he was four. And so my father taught us that um, we had to respect the authority because they were put there to uh, to take care of the students. And uh, so there was respect there. And I came into school thinking about that. And I saw my brothers and sisters doing the same thing. So they were my role models, really. Even though I couldn't talk to them, I couldn't visit them because they were in different rooms. Uh, I knew at uh, when we went home for summer holidays, when we would talk about it, uh, they were they didn't have a very difficult time at residential school either. So that was my experience. I think it was all in the way that um, the families, the expectation of families. So it's, as you were well aware, the general narrative uh, today with regard to the history of residential schools is uh, all we ever hear is the negative. And uh, in fact, if if anyone tries to say that there were some positives, they 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 seem to get quite the backlash. But you're, you're saying that even your parents regarded certain positive aspects of sending their kids away to this, uh, to a boarding school, um, and that you were encouraged to, res um, to respect the, the teachers and, and, and so on. Um, did your parents have any kind of, uh, did they have any kind of regret or negative thinking about you going off and, you know, to the, to the, to the white man's school sort of thing? Was there any of that? Well, in those days, uh, in, we were called Indians. First Nations, I will say now. First Nations were not able to go to public schools because the government had these residential schools set up. 
and they actually contracted, so to speak, the uh, the Catholic and Anglican, I think, nuns and priests to uh, uh, to administer education through the schools. And uh, I do believe that uh, when uh, when my father went and he was very little, he w- he actually went. Uh, he was taken when he was four years old. His sister was two, and there was a baby. His mother died in childbirth. So he went to the school and he learned how to uh, he learned farming practices and that sort of thing. So uh, that came that was uh, how he made a living and how he fed his family. So from that experience of his, he would uh, he knew that there was something that could something good that could come out. And because we couldn't go to resident, we couldn't go to the public schools anyway. We were not allowed to because we lived up front. I was living on the reserve. The whole family lived on the reserve. Uh, we were told by the Indian agents that we had to go to, to these um, residential schools. And my father was very clear that we needed education. We all needed to be educated so that we could. Um, we could live the kind of life that uh, we wanted to later, and we would become productive citizens because don't forget, we had a very strong work ethic to begin with since the time we were children. And so this was just uh, a natural process for us to go into school after learning what, it, uh, what hard work could do for, for our family. And our uh, the way we farmed, uh, the way we uh, we led our lives on the land, it was an important thing for us to be educated. And my father never, ever tried to keep us home because uh, he knew in his heart of hearts that we he wanted to give his children a chance to live the kind of life that they wanted to later on. So, what do we do with all the the negative stories? I'm assuming they're real, of course. Um, is oh, this, absolutely. are we I'm dealing sure. with bad, are there bad apples and not so bad or even good apples or how are people, like if, if you had the opportunity to talk about residential schools in Canada in more general and help people understand how we're to think of that history, how would you paint it? I think each residential school had its own uh, experience. We have a collective experience of residential school, and I think the collective experience are those um, feelings of abandonment and rejection. I that is the collective. That's my collective memory, anyway. Uh, because we were taken from our parents, we would have liked to have gone back and forth to school uh, on a daily basis, but that wasn't for us. We had to go to those schools. If our parents supported us in in, um, ensuring that we got a good education, then that would be uh, good for us later on. That's important. But I also think I do know that there were many schools that were different than our school. Uh, My husband, for instance, went to to a different school because he's from Muskeg Lake. They went to St. Michael's in um, Duck Lake. And so there, that was a very different experience for him, particularly in that school was grade one to eight. Our school was uh, kindergarten to grade 12. 
by the time I went anyway. And so uh, the experiences in, in each residential school was very different. And I do know that. I have talked to many of my own uh, colleagues across Canada and uh, some people had good experiences, some had bad experiences. And uh, what we hear, of course, is all the bad stuff. And I do know that individually, it wasn't a good experience. Individually, when we're talking about emotional health, when we're, talk we, when we're talking about self-preservation for our own culture, that, those were the things that were really negatively impacted on most of us. So how, how have you dealt with that personally? I, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually put it out of sight, out of mind and I became a good student and I just went on because there are times people and my parents uh, really were supportive of what, of what we did. When we, be, when we left school and went to university, uh, that was an important step. And so we had a lot of support from our parents. However, as I said before, individually, uh, it, was, it was traumatic emotionally. I think, I think the abuse was mostly emotional for me. For me, it was emotional, psychological. And I do, and uh, physically, uh, we had a roof over our heads. We had three meals a day. Everything was fine. Uh, mentally, academically, uh, we had we actually uh, had good teachers. However, there were times when uh, the teachers would call us savages, you know. But I mean, in in French, that's what it is, a eh, les sauvage, and that I think that's native. I'm I'm thinking that when I was a kid, and uh, so I think. Um, uh, many of the uh, many of the experiences uh, that I would call traumatic were individual. It was my own identity, and it was an identity that I had to change and that I didn't like to change. I became a rebel very early in my life because I came from a good home. I had a good childhood. It was a great childhood. I can I remember many things about my childhood and my mother and father and us brothers and sisters being together, having a great time, having a great time around the kitchen table, almost like a Shabbat uh, on on weekends when we would when we would come together and it was just a beautiful meal and we'd we'd pray. But we'd also have uh, wonderful food, and we visited. And our our brothers and sisters became our friends as well. We were close knit, and that was important as well. But I do believe that when one is taken out of that environment, when I was taken out of that environment, then it was my emotional, uh, my emotional self that was really affected. So in your in your growing up years as well before the school and and you would go home for holidays and summers, right? Uh, we go home years. for holidays and summer. Right. And so what kind of, what was the spiritual atmosphere, religious atmosphere of your, of your family at home? Uh, we never called it religious. We just, uh, we learned very early in life about the creator and we learned very early that creator looks after us and the creator would, um, would give us everything we needed to survive. 
And so everything, and we, we um, tied everything to the land because the creator gave us the land, a place on which to live. He gave us good land to grow our vegetables. Uh, the land actually gave us our food because we ate uh, a lot of wild meat and fish in the waters and uh, the gardens we grow. So the land was very important. And that in itself was um, the real tie to the land. And when, when, when we were taken away from that and went into residential school, it was a whole different uh, perspective. And I think that that's where the, uh, the cultural shock really came, living off the land and then going into a residential school that was very sterile and very crowded because we had a, we had a nice, nice, large place to live. And we had farms and that sort of thing, a real rural area. And uh, it, then when you, we moved into a very crowded uh, school, it was difficult to even, uh, I like space. So it was difficult to maneuver in a very crowded school. We had over 500 kids. So that was hard. When, when, you, um, when you graduated grade 12, you went on to university. Mm -hmm. Was that something that that came from from you? Was it from your parents? How did you make that decision? Uh, actually, as I like I said, as I went in when I progressed in school, I became very rebellious. Even as a young child, I was rebellious. If I was told by nuns that uh, I did something and I was going to get um, uh, reprimanded for it. If I didn't do it, I would say so. And uh, that was kind That's, of... Is that, is that rebellious, Doris? Well... <laughs> to deny, well, to deny well, based on the for truth? More, for most, we, we were not to answer back. Okay. Okay, so that was kind of like answering back. Yeah, rebellious today has come a long way since oh, those days, oh, Doris. Yeah. I'm talking as a young child. Okay. <laughs> and, and you could be put in a cloakroom for, for doing that. And I was. I was put in cloakrooms. And so I'd start to read that sort of thing. But I find that um, the rebellion... We're going to have to just... Let, just when, when you talk about being put in the cloakroom... Uh, cause I, you know, I remember the days of, of sent out into the hall and, and, and some of those things. And, um, I was actually paddled in, in elementary school. I may be the, the last person in, uh, in the Montreal school system to be paddled. It, it didn't hurt at all, but, uh, but it was in front of the whole class, but we're not here to talk about me. Um, so I put in the cloakroom. What does that mean? Uh, well, we had a, a room full of where you put your coats, you know, and everybody's coat would be in a certain certain place, and you have to remember where it was. Yeah. Well, uh, and it was dark in there, and so when you closed the door, you didn't have a lot of light in there because there was no window. But uh, if uh, yes, I remember being in the cloakroom a couple times, and I would just sit in there and sing or whatever. But uh, and that didn't bother me because. I like being alone. And so I would read in there. And the only reason why I went and why I'm saying I was rebellious, the reason why I went to university, there were very few of us in university at that time. Uh, I remember only two people who were in university uh, when I went. They were both from the graduating class before me. And uh, 
I uh, decided that I wasn't going to be a teacher because we had teachers in our family. And uh, I thought I would, uh, the only reason why I applied to university was somebody, we had sort of a guidance counselor and he was a priest. And he told me I would never make it in university. Uh, so that's why I went. It was it, okay. That's it, that's the rebellious part. <laughs> yeah, it was really you know, and it just grew out of that. And uh, because I had never been in a university, I'd never seen it. Uh, however, I just thought I think I'm going to try. And so uh, he just said, uh, "Oh, you will never, uh, you'll never make it in university." So you should be a teacher. Or you can be a nurse, or you can go and do something else. And I said, no, I'm going to do this. Would you feel free so to share I, about what era we're talking about? I think people could figure out it. Because when I said you were married to Marcel for 55 years, you know, I, most people probably thought you got married when you were about, what, four or five years old? <laughs> right. Now, I, I graduated in 1963. From the res from grade yep. twelve, we're at Indian okay. Residential School, okay. and I went to the uh, I went to university in Saskatoon, and I went into the College of Nursing. And, was there uh, any again with the, your your cultural background? Was there any concern about you needed to preserve that, or was that just not in, in your mind at all? And uh, your parents and what what did that mean at that time to you? Did where were you well, at with that? Well, by that time. Uh, I was midway in my family. I was in the center of my family. And the other, my brothers and sisters before me had all gone into something, into teaching or uh, somebody went into electronics. And uh, so that was kind of, that was there already. So that was an expectation that I would continue on as well. However, probably not in university, but uh but I, I did. And um, I remember my mother bringing me, my father told my mother, you take her, you take her to university and you show her where she's got to go. My mother had never been, my mother didn't go to school. And so uh, she was uh, the smartest lady I know, but any, and she was very, uh, and she knew exactly what to do. I, my father asked her to take me to the university in Saskatoon. She brought me, we went by bus and uh, we went and met with Indian Affairs because it was Indian Affairs, remember, who controlled everything. And they would put us into homes uh, where uh, and I was uh, placed in a, uh, a wonderful lady. Uh, it was a lady and um, her daughters. She had a daughter and a son. Her daughter was a nurse and her son was also in university. And so I went into this home and my mother uh, introduced me to these people and I so we met them and they were good people and we she asked the cab we traveled by cab she asked the cab to take us to the university whichever the closest way was for us to walk that I could walk because I liked walking and so the cab brought us to the university so I lived uh oh I don't know how far it was it was quite a ways but uh, I would walk to the university and uh it uh, my mother and father were very uh, supportive of what I was doing. And I, I came home at uh, Christmas time. My dad brought, picked me up and we went to the residential school and the priest looked at me and said, so how did you do? And I said, I'll have you know, 
I passed my exams and I said, and I'm going back. And so, but that was just a kind of a, uh, it was very proud of me to, to say that really, you know, I needed some humility, but uh, I, re- I really thought I'll show you. And you see, it was always that uh, I was always striving to be as good as everybody else because we were told immediately that we were Indians and that it was in the way they acted that we weren't good enough. So we that was a gen- so so this kind of disdain that he was exhibiting was that a general thing that he was carrying or yeah. was it so it wasn't personal? Oh no, it you- wasn't personal. It wasn't personal at all. Uh, it was uh, that's kind of it's the expectations that were set up by the school. And there were expectations that that some families would graduate and continue on. My family happened to be one of those families. And that sounds like that came from mainly that came from your parents. Yes, it did. It uh, did because my father uh, knew very well that education was very important, and uh, he wanted us all to be educated, and we were. So that was uh, that was something that did us well afterward as there are so many things that we could talk about i i'm i know you came to faith later in life and i know some of your story uh, but i want to jump ahead a little bit um because you talked about um the your relationship to the land and and growing up and the creator and 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 all that um you eventually come to personal faith in yeshua jesus uh, not that long ago right yes and um and then soon out is it soon after that, or was it before that you got to go to Israel? Actually, we went to Israel. We were living in Germany. We lived in Germany for seven and a half years. And that's when, and, when Marcel was stationed Marcel, there. That's right. And um, as a military person, there were many countries that he could not visit. Just because of being in the military, there are certain things, um, certain places he couldn't go. So I traveled a lot with my two daughters. Uh, we went to Israel in 1988 with the, um, uh, and uh, we rented a car. We went into Cairo, went into Egypt. Then we flew to Tel Aviv. There was no place to stay because the hotels were all, uh, were all full. So some very kind Jewish person uh, brought us into his home and for the night. And wow. uh, it, it was it was unreal. And it and the girls were looking at me and said, do you think this is good? No, I said, I get a good feeling about this. And so uh, but because there really was nothing that we could do about it. And so we went uh, we traveled all around uh, Israel. We went up to Haifa and all the way just all over the place. We even came into the Gaza Strip. And I remember them telling us, uh, oh, you shouldn't be here, you know. Oh, yeah. We said, well, hurry up and we'll go through. But we even went into the Gaza Strip that time, went into Jerusalem. That was our last stop. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing when we were in the Galilee. Uh, Just we had learned about this when we were in school, uh, you know, just through just through history. And it was the most exhilarating thing to walk on the on the earth, on the land that Jesus walked. And so, uh, but I, I, we weren't believers at that time. We were tourists, but it still impacted. The land was what impacted me. I, I, I would never forget it. And uh, so it was with my children. 
And then we went again in 2014. I went with my yeah, daughter. So before you get there, and I, I would like to explore a little bit the, this connection to the land. It really fascinates me. I think there's a lot more in scripture about that than uh, what a lot of people understand. But you were raised with this, with this idea of the creator, the land, dependency on the land, connection to the land, um, and that there's real meaning in that. And then you go to a part of the world where the issue of that land is 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 central. Mm -hmm. um, I know. You, so, how did that speak to you? Like, wh what did that mean to you? Are you are, are you able to articulate that? When I went to uh, to Israel the first time in 1988, I was uh, I was. Uh, I don't know. There was it was a feeling. I felt part of that land because that's what indigenous means, right? It means of the land, and and so I went into this land where it just drew me in. I I could uh, I could I hiked a lot as well, and so the land I could feel the connection of my just walking on the land, and I remember it changed my whole perspective of uh, of all the other places I'd been. We traveled a lot when we were in Germany, but that was the only country where the land was so key. I'd hiked in mountains, I'd all over the place. I went to Corsica and, you know, and hiked right across there. And that, that was good too. But when I got into Israel, uh, it, it was that... Uh, that close connection, I almost felt part part of that land. And I wondered why. And I then I thought, I think it's Jesus. But I but I I it was a fleeting moment and we kept on going. Then when I got to Jerusalem, we were on the land again and we went to the Mount of Olives. And I thought, oh, this is I, it was um, the feeling and the emotion that came was uh now you're res you're you you were in a residential school that was Catholic, yeah. And you learned all the Bible stories, I assume. Was it so, just that? Was it just this no. sentimentality? No, it was no, not no, just the no. sentimentality of no, you're no, actually it, acting yeah. out the Sunday school classes and that sort That's of thing. It. No, no, no. This is part of my early years. I was born on the land. I was born uh, at home. Right. And you and and you're born on the land. I'm part of the land. That's how I figure it. And so you're sensing some of that when you're in Israel. Yes, yes. How? Because, because we were so uh, we were so we were tied to the land. I mean, that was the most important thing that we were taught, and my father taught us that the land. It's about the land. And we are we are connected to the land. Did you so, do you think you were picking up um, vibes? Uh, yeah, well, vibes. And I, I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth. But were you? Is it possible that you were picking up an indigenous experience in Israel, common like similar to your own? Oh, for sure, for sure, so, for sure. Cause, because cause we, you know, because we live we live in a world, especially the most of the Western world, that, that we're so transient. Almost nobody is from where there are. There are exceptions in North America. You know, a lot of the French Canadian people go back hundreds of years in, in Quebec. A lot of people in the rest of Canada don't understand that. 
Um, but with you know your own people, I don't know in your in your traditions how long you know you talk about how long you've actually been in this land, but it's a long, long time. And then you're in a land where that's so important to those same to the, the people there, even though we were gone from our land for so long. But that connection to the land is so important. And it's all connected to the Creator. Is is that's that right. where the is that where there's commonality? Absolutely, absolutely. Because we always knew that the Creator was our provider. We always knew that he was the maker of all things. He always, we always knew he would look after us. We didn't have to wonder if he existed or not. He was just there. He was always with us. And he created us to be who we are. And so he created us on a land and he created us in this country of Canada. And it, the land itself we're part of the land. The land's not part of us. We are part of the land. And that's the same feeling I got when we went to Israel. I felt part of the land. Most people say that the land is part of them, but no, the land is supreme. This is God's territory and we are part of it. Many people think about it in a different way. But indigenous peoples are part of the land. Right. So as, as an indigenous person, especially in your own experience, you grew up with a knowledge of the creator. You're taught uh, by your parents that the creator always provides. Uh, he uses the land to do so, which is true. You know, again, most in our modern age, we think it's the supermarket uh, mm -hmm. that we hear about the supply chain, but it all comes from the land. Um, and unless God blesses the land, uh, the, then we're not provided for. So this connection between God, the creator, the land, and us is a very, very intimate connection. Mm -hmm. What difference has knowing Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, made for you? I became... I was baptized in 2013. I was over 60 years old by this time. And it took me some time to find my identity in Christ, in Jesus. At this time, before this time, it was only creator in me. I almost felt that we were living in the Old Testament. I mean, after I got to, uh, to read scripture, when I became a Christian, I saw my previous life as living in the Old Testament because those are the things I did. I went to ceremony, that sort of thing. It was all on the land. And so that was Old Testament living. And then when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior in 2013, uh, then I came into a sort of the new covenant, into the New Testament living. And I felt that um, uh, I, it took me some time to find my identity in Christ. And it came to me one day when I was uh, with my daughter in the um, uh, Creation Museum in Cincinnati. And I saw on the door, we were, we were uh, walking around the uh, museum, 
And I saw this door and it said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what John 14, 6. And that, that was a huge revelation to me. What? I can't go to God without going through Jesus? And that's what, and you know, and that was the day I truly knew that I had to know Jesus. So from there on, that's when I started really my journey into believing that I had to have a personal relationship with Jesus if I was ever going to go further. Then when I was baptized, I understood what it meant to be. I was baptized in the Jordan in 2014. That, that I was still learning. I was just learning. I went back in 2019 and I was baptized again. Something made me do it. We were on this trip and uh, we were going to the Jordan 2019. And for some reason or other, I thought to myself, well, I've, I've been baptized in a Jordan twice now, <laughs> 1988 and then 2014. And I thought, but something just told me you need to go, you need to be baptized. And I, I didn't have the clothing, but my daughter had some supporters. And I felt, I really felt what it meant to die with Christ, to be buried and to rise again. I, at the beginning, the first time I was afraid of the water because uh, we didn't learn to swim, you know, residential school. It was, you know, we had a lake, but we couldn't swim. Anyway, uh, that was, uh, I was, there was, I had fear of the water. But in 2019, I had understood enough and I knew that I had to become, I had to be a, a friend of Jesus. And so I began, then I, when I was baptized there, I went into the water and I wasn't afraid at all. It was just an, I was in a, a spiritual place in the water and I felt myself being buried and then coming up to new life. I have a picture even. It, it's just, it was unreal. And then I knew, okay, this is it. That was the real, that was my real revelation was then. And I just felt that, uh, yes, it is only through Jesus. We need to know Jesus in order for us to be saved, period. And so I, I could see myself uh, taking on a new life. My old life was gone, and I started a new life on that day. I was, I was working at it, but that's when it really came. I can distinctly remember that. So how could we... Um, how would you want people to be praying for uh, the Indigenous people of Canada today? Is is that uh, too big of a question? Or well, I actually think um, it's really important that uh, I, I have been doing some work with my own people lately and uh, talking about uh, forgiveness. That's one of the main things we need to we need to understand uh and it's not to say that we must forget it that's for, forgetting doesn't mean really having that isn't something that we need to do when we forgive 
but we must think about who put us on this earth and he sent his son to save us because we can't couldn't save ourselves so his son came and and saved us and he died for us and so we need to understand what will get us to that place where we come to Jesus because it's only about Jesus and i do believe that we need to take our collective memory our collective experience of residential school we need to understand what it is not that we have to understand but we have to talk about it we have to look at our collective experience but we have to forgive we have to forgive because when jesus was on the cross he just looked down and said forgive them for they know not what they do it is very similar forgive the government who actually put the nuns and priests in the place in their in the place to educate us and to take care of us and they didn't do some of them didn't do a good job christ would say forgive them for they know not what they do and that's important and i think on that basis we need to forgive we need to forgive so that we become free we need to forgive so we can break the cycle of vengeance because vengeance belongs to god not to us and so that judgment doesn't belong to us it belongs to our creator and so jesus is the only way that we are going to come to salvation that we are going to be saved and i do believe that um, when we get there we will receive a light of truth when we get to know jesus truth will come it will be right before us because you know we are called to serve and we are called to obey we are called to do many things and we understand as well that the cross it is the cross that is essential the cross reconciles man to god that's the only thing that will reconcile us and so the cross is important and we know that we were born for god's purpose and what is god's purpose it's to know his son yeah. well that's beautiful doris it sounds like the things that your parents invested in into your in your life so long ago really has come to fruition later on in life and as you're talking about the all important topic of forgiveness um as well as that there's there's is going to be judgment these are the things that people are forgetting people are so angry today um and a lot of anger it comes out of frustration because uh we don't believe there's justice you know wrongs have been done at so many levels um to individuals to groups but god will have the final word and if we can come to grips with that and let him in his time deal with all of us then we it's it's a lot easier to let go and then to realize that whatever's happened to to any of us we all need his forgiveness and the freedom that comes to, comes to us through uh through what yeshua has done you you explain that really really well thank you so much for taking this time to to have this conversation with me um uh 
I I keep saying when I when I when I share my podcasts with with people, I keep using or want to use the word delightful. This has been such a delightful time. People get tired of you know I should you know call it you know you know <laughs> you know delightfulness with Alan Gilman or something like that instead of thinking biblically uh, because it's really been a delightful time. I I hope people have been. Uh, see the, the 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 glow of your heart that, that's come forth in our in our time together. Um, Doris and I talked before. If anybody has any questions for her, or you want to get in touch with her, she prefers that you do it through me. So uh, you could send me your uh, comments and questions to comments at thinkingbiblically.org, and anything you uh, want to ask Doris, I can pass on to her, and uh, and then she could take it from there. So. Again, thank you so much, Doris, for, for doing this today. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. And so, uh, again, if you want to contact me or Doris, please uh, send your email to comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Uh, be sure to check out uh, my uh, uh, YouTube channel and subscribe. And look. you can look up. I'll put uh, Doris's daughter's uh, melodies conversation in the description so make it easy for you if you want to check that out that was another delightful conversation and so until next time this is alan gilman with thinking biblically